Welcome to On the Middle East, the podcast of the award-winning media service El Monitor, where each week we talk with the decision makers and thought leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in the Middle East. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of El Monitor, and this week we'll be talking about how the peace agreements between Israel and the UAE in Bahrain are being perceived among Israel's nearly 2 million Arab citizens. Our guest is El Monitor contributor and tech entrepreneur, Afif Abu Mush. He is an Arab citizen of Israel, and he will be joining us after this short break. For the Arab people here, is that you cannot, uh, you could not be part of the Arab world because of your citizenship. These agreements open for you the gate to contact the Arab world, and maybe in the future, maybe to be the connection point between the Israeli institutes here and the Arabs and the Arab world. I think it's a good news. Not all Arab, Israeli Arab are glad with this uh, agreement. It depends on your opinion or attitude regarding the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. That was Afif Abu Mosh, who will join us in just a few minutes. Before he does, let me share my thoughts on the signing of the peace agreements this week between Israel and the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain. A Middle East peace deal is a rare bird in U.S. foreign policy, and Trump just bagged one. Middle East peace efforts have more often ended with frustration rather than signing ceremonies at the White House. In fact, there were only three such ceremonies over the previous four decades until this week, with Egypt in 1978, with the PLO in 1993, and with Jordan in 1994. Trump, it seems, has set his critics back, at least for a day. It's hard to square accusations of being unfit for office, per the revelations in Bob Woodward's new book, Rage, with a Middle East peace deal involving Israel and two Arab states with the prospect of more to come. And if there are more to come, that means we may be witnessing not necessarily just a peace deal, but a possible trend. The Abraham Accords, as they're called, also signal that Trump's art of the deal can be well-suited to the Middle East. The region is more transactional than institutional in its foreign policy dealings compared to Europe and NATO, for example. And relationships at the leadership level, of course, always critical in diplomacy, seem to matter even more in the Middle East, which Trump gets. Now, Trump's Democratic opponent, former Vice President Joe Biden, has welcomed the Abraham Accords and promises to build on them if elected. Biden, too, has a personal touch as well as lots of respect in the region and a stellar record as a statesman, as chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, and as vice president. Now, among the many differences with Trump, if Biden were to win election, he would likely also convey concerns about human rights and arms sales to U.S. partners and allies in the region. These concerns have been increasingly raised by Democrats in the Congress, and Trump has not been inclined to raise those issues. Biden probably likely to do so. 
the bottom line is that a second Trump term or a first Biden term would have to deal with a new reality and realignment established with the peace agreements this week. Now, let's turn to our conversation with Afif Abu Mush. As I mentioned earlier, Afif is an Arab citizen of Israel. So he is, in a sense, both Israeli and Palestinian. And that will come across in his comments as it does in his El Monitor articles. His is a fascinating and critical take on Israel, the peace accords, and the region, and one not widely heard, especially in the Western media, except for those of you who are reading a monitor, of course. His comments today convey optimism about the peace accords, which will allow Israel's Arabs, who have not been able to travel to Gulf countries on an Israeli passport, the chance to visit the UAE and Bahrain, engage with the people there culturally, personally, and in business. Afif even believes Israel's Arabs can be a gateway in these new relationships for Israel. Afif will also tell us about his and many Israeli Arabs' commitment to full integration in Israeli society, how he and other Israeli Arabs feel frozen out of Israeli politics, marginalized deliberately by Prime Minister Netanyahu and others in the political establishment, and how the Arab political parties in the Knesset, the so-called joint list, seem to want to maintain this separation. Our conversation with Afif Abu Mush, who is joining us from Baka al-Garbiya, a town in the Haifa district in Israel, begins now. Afif, welcome to On the Middle East. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's nice to meet you, and it's my pleasure to take part in your podcast. Great. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Now, let's get right into it. You are an Arab citizen of Israel, and to remind our listeners, there are approximately 8.5 million Israeli citizens, and about 1.9 million are Arabs. That's about 20% of the population. And of course, there's another 5 million or so Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza. Tell us a little about your background, where you live in Israel, and whether you consider your primary identity Israeli, Arab, or Palestinian. I'm an Arab Israeli citizen. I live in Batil Garbia city in Israel. Actually, I am a monitor computer as well as a computer engineer. Regarding your question about uh, my primary identity, actually, I always wondered why this question is raised just in case of uh, Arab-Israeli citizens. But let me answer you that I consider myself, first of all, as a human. I am an Arab-Israeli who is originally a Palestinian, but I'm not sure that I can consider myself today as a Palestinian because I live in Israel. I have an Israeli citizenship. I do everything for integration of the Arab community in Israel state. At the same time, let me say that to be an Arab Arab Israeli citizen, it's a little bit complicated. You are originally Palestinian, your parents, your grandfathers, and etc. Grandparents, sorry, etc. So the situation is a little bit complicated, but 
the youth today in Israel, I mean, Arab society, Arab community, most of them want to be uh, to integrated in Israel. They wish and they work on full integration to feel Israeli for everything. But at the same time, you cannot feel that from the Israeli side. I mean, uh, the institutes in Israel and government, etc. They always grant you the feeling that you are, as an Arab uh, Israeli citizen, you are not part of us. You are outsider. Trust me, this is a bad feeling. How do you describe your relation, the relationship generally between Arab citizens of Israel and Palestinians who live under the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank and Hamas in Gaza? Okay, let me share with you a study which was published recently by the Israel Democracy Institute. It points that only 13% of Arab Israeli citizens define themselves as Palestinians. So this can indicate about the relationships between Arab and the Arab citizens here and the, the Arabs in the West Bank. And of course, Hamas in Gaza. I don't think that there are any relations between the Arab here, the Arabs here and Hamas in Gaza. I don't see that there are a lot of Arabs who support Hamas in Gaza and etc. They also they are tired of the conflict between Hamas and the Fatah. So I'm not sure that Arab here they'll feel I'm talking about most of the Arabs. You know, sometimes you will meet a, a person here, a person there, but to he defines he defines himself as a Palestinian. I just last week interviewed for monitor a person like that who said that first of all I'm Palestinian, and this is why I reject the deal with the Emirates. Today, as I have said, most of the Arabs want full integration, want to be part of the government. By the way. You raised the joint list, and to remind our, our listeners, the joint list is the Arab parties in the Israeli Knesset. The list won 15 seats in the last election with 12.6% with of the vote uh, this year. And it was yeah. the third, third largest party in the Knesset until Yeshatid split off from blue and white to lead the opposition. So uh, the way I, I kind of described it is it's it's in some ways, been the best of times and the worst of times for the Arab parties, uh, to quote uh, Dickens. So how do you, is that how you see it? And uh, how do you assess this progress and accomplishment in terms of the vote and its, its role with this political situation you're describing? Actually, it's a little bit complicated. And because as you have said, on one hand, the joint list achieved a record voter turnout and got 15 seats in the last election. But on the other hand, you know that it doesn't matter how many seats the joint list will get, it will be part of the opposition. It will not join the coalition. Sometimes 
Actually, I have seen the feeling that the joint list is like a private club or a close club, which is more an economic project rather rather than a political project. Let's turn to the the news of the week, uh, which is the Abraham Accords and the, the signing of the the peace agreement at the White House on Tuesday. Uh, between the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Israel, a deal brokered by the United States. And you, you've written a, a fascinating uh, piece for Monitor, uh, where you concluded that the, the peace agreement has forced a kind of identity crisis, as you described it, for Arab citizens of Israel. You said that while the peace may have, you know, sidelined Palestinians, and there are some of the political issues you've, you've been discussing here, there are also opportunities for Israel's Arab citizens in terms of their ability now to uh, engage the uh, Arab states, the UAE, Bahrain, and to do a business. You're in the tech se- sector. Uh, there could be uh, business opportunities and opportunities in general uh, for exchanges and investment and uh, commerce. Uh, tell us about that kind of uh, tension you were describing in, in uh, identity issues and the opportunities, as you see, including in the tech world where you work. As I wrote in my article, uh, the Israeli-Arab split over the agreements with the Emiratis and Bahrain. So we can say, if we can see that there are people who see in these agreements an opportunity to be part of the Arab world, something that has been denied them until now because their Israeli citizenship and uh, the Israeli passport. But at the same time, there are some Israeli Arabs who reject the deal, as I have said before, because it does not include establishing Palestinian state and ignoring the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and etc. If we talk about the opportunity, one of the, let's say, disadvantages of uh, Israeli citizenship as, uh, for the Arab people here is that you, cannot, uh, you could not be part of the Arab world because of uh, your citizenship. So th- these agreements open for you the gate to contact the Arab world, and maybe in the future, maybe to be the connection point between the Israeli institutes here and the Arabs and the Arab world. Regarding opportunities, I have interviewed an artist, told me that this agreement can grant him an opportunity, for example, to take part for and uh, some famous singers in the Arab world bands to be part of their bands, for example. Until now, we could not do that. For example, if in my work, I'm, as I told you, I'm a software engineer also, in addition to, to being a monitor contrib- contributor. So this opens for me an opportunity maybe for relocation in the future and maybe to make more money in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, I don't know. I think it's good news. It's good news, but 
what would you like to see happen next? We've had the signings. Would you like to see more normalization uh, with other Arab states in Israel? Would you like to see the uh, Palestinian Authority begin direct talks and maybe the context of a new regional initiative to uh, engage and uh, work work toward a, an agreement there between Israelis and the Palestinians. Uh, what do you you see happening, um, and are you optimistic about these next steps? I think that it depends on the USA election in November. At the same time, it depends on Iran. This agreement yesterday can trigger the Palestinians maybe to the conflict between Hamas and Fatah or between Gaza and Ramallah. Because sometimes you feel that the uh, Arab world and even the Arabs here are tired of this conflict and it does not help them to end the occupation and establish their own state. But as I have said, never say never. We can see maybe more normalization processes of uh, small countries, but not of uh, the leaders of the Arab world. Afif, thank you for taking the time today. This was a, a fascinating conversation, wonderful perspective on the historic peace deal that was signed this week. We appreciate your taking the time and your contributions to our monitor. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. Have a nice day. We'll be right back after this short break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Thank you all for listening to On the Middle East. I'm Andrew Parasoliti. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, please sign up for this and our other El Monitor podcast, On Israel with Ben Caspit, at your favorite podcast platform.